Welcome to Saltgrass, Turning the Goldfields Green, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. Today's show was originally going to be about the student strikes for climate. An amazing group of local teenagers joined the global movement started by Greta Thunberg just a year or so ago. I interviewed Neve O'Connor-Smith and Cohen Saunders about their involvement in the student strike movement and what upcoming action they have planned for this Friday, 25th of September. The topic, of course, turned to what specifically they are protesting about at this point in time, which is the Australian government's proposed gas-led economic recovery from COVID-19, which led me to include a couple of other interviews in today's show. One is from Warwick Smith, economist and ecologist, talking about why this gas-led recovery does not make either economic or environmental sense. And I also have a little snippet cut from a show back in May with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth about how to make your voice heard on this issue if you want to. So a bit of context for those who may not know. Australia has long been known as the lucky country, partly because we're rich in natural resources. Australia is the world's third largest fossil fuel exporter, making up 7% of all fossil fuel exports, behind only Russia and Saudi Arabia. This has been pretty good for us historically, as we have had a lot of financial abundance because of this, but we know that fossil fuels are a major driving factor in climate change, and digging it up now and selling it really just doesn't make any sense for our future, or even for our present, as Warwick will explain in the first interview. My name is Alison Hanley, and Saltgrass is produced in Castlemaine on Jara Country, home of the Jajarung people. I pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. So first up, here's Warwick Smith, who is an ecologist and an economist. I asked him what he thought of the gas recovery and the school strike action. Yeah, of course. I completely agree that they should be, they should be striking it. I mean, I, I think the gas recovery is just a perfect illustration of everything that's wrong with modern Australian politics. You know, it, it, they announced the COVID Recovery Commission, I can't remember the exact title of it, and and then proceeded to just fill it with commissioners who were gas industry insiders and miners and and so at the moment they announced who the commissioners were, we basically knew what the outcome was, that it was gonna be subsidies for the gas industry because of who they put on it. And heavily biased. And the very same gas industry gives hundreds of millions of dollars in donations to both sides of politics. Um mm. And so is there nothing in our government system that, that manages bias in, in things like that? No, not really. I mean, most of these commissions have, have an obligation to declare conflict of interest and declare financial interest, but, but this one didn't even have that. So best practice would be to declare and not allow it, but obviously it's not mandatory. No, that's right. And, of course, best practice would be, you know, if, if what you're doing is setting up a commission that's about the economic recovery from... A, pandemic-induced recession, you would have people who are experts in economic recovery. <laughs> what do you mean? That sounds so you know? strange. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
that's what I would sort of think when you set up such a yeah. thing, rather than just having people who, who are guest experts, guest industry experts. And, and so, you know, that, that was the goal, the stated goal of this thing was, that, well, how are we going to recover after this recession that's being caused by, you know, the coronavirus and the political reaction to the coronavirus? And to choose gas sort of infrastructure and, and pipelines and processing and all that sort of stuff, it's, the gas industry is literally the least labour-intensive industry in the country. And and so for the amount of dollars you spend, you employ less people than anywhere else. So it's a fallacy that it's about jobs. That's It's a complete fallacy that it's about jobs or even really about economic recovery. I mean, you know, there's a kind of very minor stimulatory effect if they manage to bring gas prices down, but ultimately it's so limited and so narrow in its effect. And, and even if it is about construction jobs, you know, there's a sort of classic construction type stimulus from a recession. It's not that, this isn't that kind of recession, you know. The, the people who are disproportionately affected, for one thing, women are disproportionately affected and service industries, hospitality, where people have lost their jobs. They're not the ones who are going to see any benefit from the gas-led recovery. They're not the people who are going to go and work in the Northern Territory on a gas pipeline. No, and so the whole thing, the whole thing is a farce, and and was a stitch up from the beginning in terms of just giving money money to their mates. You know, so they'll they'll subsidise gas infrastructure, and and those companies will use that gas infrastructure that they didn't have to pay for to to produce gas and sell it and make profit and and you know contribute enormously to our emissions. It's so depressing. So are there ways? People are striking and protesting and writing to MPs and I called up Anthony Albanese's office, said, you know, I don't believe in a gas-led recovery because he seems to be on board as well. The opposition leaders said, you know, everyone's behind it, it's fine. Yeah. What would it take to stop this from going through? Is it possible, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do think, I think some of it at least, the talk about building a new gas-fired Power plant won't go ahead anyway. I think that's all just bluster. It's not. It's just not economically viable to do at the moment. But in terms of stopping the politicians, I think all we can really do at this point is is make people aware of what a farce it is and show that it's not genuine economic recovery. You know, this is not it's not what it's doing and it's not what it's about. And it was never designed to do that. And I guess the hope that that feeds into results in electoral politics and and to feedback to them. But I just I think. Sadly, this particular mob are so far gone and so pig-headed that I don't think, you know, almost no level of opposition to things will, will change. You know, this is the guy who carried a big lump of coal into Parliament, for God's sake. I think we have to get rid of them. I, I really don't. I think it's very, very difficult to change their minds about this stuff. But this decision, this particular decision, what does it require in Parliament? I presume it will require legislation. Yeah, it will. But as you say, if Albanese is already on board, and and even if he's not, they're, they're capable of passing legislation with, you know, a handful of rat bags in the Senate. But but those, I mean, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't speak too harshly because some of those people are actually capable of being influenced by public pressure. So if we're gonna if we're gonna stop it, it's it's pressure on the Labor Party to oppose it. Because if they if they agree, obviously it's a done deal. But pressure on the Labor Party to oppose it, and then and then pressure on the independence in the Senate. Okay, so if people can find out who who the independents and the Labor Party reps are 
across Australia and then contact them all. Yep. <laughs> you could just make a list and then contact them all. Yeah. And say, I disagree with this. You should really do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I do think there is the potential of at least stopping the ludicrousness of this, but of this particular proposal, but, you know, changing the orientation of the current federal government is probably unrealistic. That was Warwick Smith, local ecologist and economist, explaining the ins and outs of why a gas-led recovery just doesn't make sense. Check out the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com for links, including how you can contact your political representatives about the issue of fracking and gas-led recovery. Now we have Neve O'Connor-Smith and Cohen Saunders to talk about the upcoming student strike action on Friday the 25th of September. We talk about the student strike movement in general and how it began and what their involvement in it has meant to them. Neve, can you tell us a bit about how the student strike movement started? Two, almost two years ago, in 2018, three students in Castlemaine started striking after seeing Greta Thunberg strike in Sweden and they were striking for the climate. So on November 1st, they had held their first strike in Bendigo there was about maybe 15 people, which was a lot more than they were thinking they were getting out for their first time. And they continued to strike every Friday for the whole month leading up to November 30th, the first international day of action on climate change. Yeah. So Greta Thunberg had been striking in Sweden? She'd been striking for a while just Sweden. as She'd a... She'd been striking since August. So yeah. This, this occurred like four months later. Yeah, wow. That's amazing how quickly the momentum that it became global yeah. within four months of her sitting down and going, you know what, <laughs> why should yeah. I go to school when the world's falling apart? Yeah. And so on that day, on November 30th, that first global day of action, they rode the train up to Melbourne and they were all expecting maybe 500 people to be sitting on the old treasury steps. And when they got there, they saw like 10,000 students striking for the climate and they were like blown away and it was this massive sense of empowerment mm. that we were going to do something and we were going to change things. Yeah. And I was involved in the movement at this stage. I got involved six months later leading up to the 2019 election. So in the lead up to the 2019 election, Australia decided to hold an event on May 3rd, lots of small actions to like push the climate agenda in the election. And I was asked by some of the adult supporters and strikers if I could organise an event because there was no one else's drinking. I put up my hand because I was like, that sounds like fun. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> but, the more, but from there, I kind of started my journey into activism. Yeah, great. So I organised that strike and we had lots of support and it was, an amazing strike. We had 150 people come um, and turn out in Bendigo and we strike in front of our local MP's office asking for climate action, yeah, climate well, justice. That's so great. And so, Cohen, were you involved at that point in that event? Yeah, I, I went to that event and I think I've been to most of the, the major strikes, but I've yeah never been involved as an, as an organiser. And you've now left school, haven't you? But you're still kind of connected to the whole group. Yeah. So I, I left school last year and 
I've since joined uh, AYCC, which is the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, mm-hmm. and they've got um, they're pretty involved with the school strike for climate people, which which Neve is part of. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that. And so, Neve, you're in year twelve this year. Next year, when you leave high school, are you still allowed to be a student striker? I guess you could be a uni student striker. But there is uni students for climate justice. Yeah. Yes, but not in the same capacity. So I'll probably still be involved in a more mentoring role. Yeah. Um, because, well, because like over the past year, often we onboard lots of people and lots of new people come in and learn. But with coronavirus, it's really hard to like onboard people and teach them how to organise mm. a strike when we can't really organise any strike. Yeah, it's it's very Although, tricky. Yeah. So, Neve, before we move on to activism in a coronavirus world, I did want to ask you, what were your thoughts about the climate crisis and climate change before you got involved in all the activist stuff? Was it on your radar as something you were worried about? It was on my radar and I knew about it and I knew what was going on, but I don't think it had really hit me, like, what was going on, like, Mm. how bad it was. And it wasn't until I got involved and started, like, researching the facts and the information and everything that goes on behind it and all the inaction that wasn't happening that I realised how bad and how dire the situation is. Mm. Yeah, and Cohen, what about you? Is it a similar story for you? Yeah, similar story. I was, it was pretty off my radar and I think in about year nine, I read a book called The One Straw Revolution by Masanobu Fukuoka and it's totally not about climate change at all. It's, it was written in the 70s when it, climate change was a pretty like niche idea. Yeah. And... It, it's just generally about uh, environmentalism and, and caring for the planet. And mm. that kind of set me up. And I always thought of climate change and climate action as something that you do on a personal level, you know, ride your bike, don't use a lot of electricity. And I always kind of thought of it as something that, you know, was a, was a problem with the, with the way we live. Mm. And I, I never kind of realized our capacity to actually change what, the government is doing until until Greta Thunberg did that and until Harriet and the Catalan strikers kind of started a school strike for climate. And I think there's a lot of other people uh, my age who are, have, have similar experiences that this movement kind of awoke us to our, you know, our potential to, to change what's mm. happening, as, um, which, is, which yeah. is pretty great, I think. Yeah, it's brilliant. I guess as uh, what you're describing is you're, you've become awake to the idea that you're a citizen and that you have a right as well as a responsibility to influence how society is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about what's coming up this week. I might give you a bit of background because on the 15th of September, Scott Morrison has just announced a $52.9 million plan to have a gas-led recovery from COVID-19, which is not the way forward for a better future. It really isn't. So, with that, School Strike for Climate Australia has been, and globally, but in Australia we've been pushing a renewable-led recovery and action against gas. Yeah. And against fracking, especially in the Northern Territory. So we're working with organisations like Mob, which is an organisation that's been in AYC, which are working against fracking the Northern Territory but so on September 25, although COVID-19 is here, we still need to take action. Like we can't mm. stop fighting for climate justice. And so on September 25, there are actions happening across Australia. And our aim, instead of turnout, because 
going to be pretty hard to beat 400,000 people on September 20 last year. Yeah. And it's for the number of actions. Yeah, and great. Here in Castlemaine, because of COVID-19 and restrictions, we're going to have an art installation. As great. Such, a collaborative art installation. Yeah, cool. So we're asking people to come down throughout the day on September 25 and bring yellow flowers going to be sitting between the IGA and the market building. Wow. So yellow flowers could be... Yellow flowers. Daffodils. It's daffodil season. I've seen so many of them out. Wattles, anything, or just any flowers. Gorgeous. And flowers are just a symbol of climate justice. Yeah, and the natural world. Yeah. Yeah. And also I would say... They're a symbol of the youth-led movement. It's like this blooming and blossoming of this beautiful new energy yeah. in the world. Yeah. But it's like we're asking everyone to participate and everyone to show their support so yeah. we can really push the government to move away from fossil fuels. Yeah, not just young people. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So, Cohen, have you been involved in organising this one? No, again, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm dragging the tail out of you. I think <laughs> no, I should be getting involved with with SS4C, but no, no, I, have, I haven't been involved with organising this one. But yeah. yeah, interesting how different types of activism have played out in COVID. I've seen a lot of online action, mm. and I, I like the idea for this one because if you're just going to the supermarket anyway, as most people in Castlemaine do, mm. you can do it, and it's still a physical thing, which you know can move a lot of people who just wouldn't engage with it otherwise. Whereas an online action is very siloed. Um, yes, so I really like that they're doing that. Yeah. And I think part of the whole point of activism is to bring it in front of the people who don't want to engage with it. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a nice way to not necessarily be right in people's faces, but in a really beautiful way, make people who might not be thinking about climate change think about it. Yeah. And it's also really hard to organise online action when you're generally can be disengaged from your audience. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean... I guess your generation is probably the most tech-savvy generation <laughs> we'll ever have. And, um, oh, I shouldn't say that, that we have so far. And and yet you still are finding it difficult to get people engaged. Is that what you're finding? Yeah. Well, not even the people aren't engaged, but, like, you can't – it's harder to see an impact. Mm. As if you're standing – like, if you – if you can see the amount of flowers or you can see the amount of people, you can see the amount of people, like, there who want it. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to see every person who posted on Instagram. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And what else do you think COVID – I know when COVID-19 first came through, I felt this simultaneous, like – dread that everyone would forget about climate change and it was still a really important issue which luckily hasn't happened a lot of people are still very focused on the issue of the climate crisis but also actually I felt a relief that we didn't have to <laughs> do all of these events we had planned at the sustainability group in a, in a way <laughs> because I was, I was actually already quite tired and it's it's difficult to, to make events like that happen it takes a lot of energy yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'm asking, do you feel like the momentum amongst your peers has dropped? COVID-19 is supposedly this rest time, but I think people are stressed and it's making everything new and difficult. So what's been your experience there? Should I go first, Colin? Yeah, go for it. So, yeah, I think maybe, I think people have lost motivation. I think there was a lot of motivation in the strike because the outcome you got was so amazing. 
And it's really hard. Well, you can't achieve that outcome in COVID-19. Yeah. And so I think it, a lot of people did lose motivation. And maybe it was a bit of a rest for some. But I think I think just because of all the other stresses, it didn't really like, add up to the rest. Yeah. That a lot of people like were speculating it would. Yeah. The one thing, like, well, I, I always had hope from Corona that this would be the thing that would wake people up and that would allow us to change things. Because, like, people have seen that we can take drastic action in very short periods of time. Although I'm losing my optimism as time goes by and the government still about a gas-led recovery. Yes. Well, I think our federal government is very single-minded and until we get them out, we're not going to actually see much change. It's a question of whether our political system is set up in such a way that that decision can't be made just by them and that everyone else who stands against it gets counted, I guess. Yes, and that is what we're trying to do on September 25. So other forms of activism, I guess, involve writing to your MPs and your political yeah. representatives. Have you guys been organising that sort of thing? Schools for Climate, because, well, especially in Victoria, like as a, as a state, we are organising voting jams where you ring your MP and letter writing and things like that because it's, well, you can't do, in some places you can't do online action, um, offline action the only ones that are possible mm. and it's what easier to do that sort of thing. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great skill to have and, and to know that you can write to your political representative and, and yeah. tell them what you think. A lot of people don't realise it yeah. as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of, like, I still don't do it as much as I think I probably should. I'm just not very practised at it and sometimes you just need to jump in and give it a shot. Yeah. So, Cohen, tell me what you've been doing to sort of stay involved with the climate movement since you've left school and been less involved with the student striking group? Yeah, well, I guess AYCC is one thing. So we've been running a, a program called the Schools Climate Leadership Program, which is essentially just workshops, a bit of an intensive about climate change for, for high school age students. Mm. Most of them are involved because they went to a student strike. And it's pretty amazing when you're there to realise the amount of people who just had people around them going, yeah, I'm going for the strike. And then they went and then they realised, oh, my gosh, this is something mm. that we really need to be focused on. And now they're, you know, committing two hours a week to, to really learn more about this and, mm. you know, deepen their journey into, into climate activism. In, That's um, really amazing. Sorry, just to interrupt. That, I just find that is a, such a great initiative and it actually makes the most of what can often be seen as a really bad thing, which is peer pressure. <laughs> So often peer pressure is represented as, you know, kids getting into trouble with each other, but this is actually kids really learning because they just went along because their mates were doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's a good way of looking at it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Actually, the workshop that I ran a couple of weeks ago was was really interesting because, you know, you learn things as well when you're you're writing it and and delving into it. And some of the things about, well, we, we run a workshop called Power Structures and the part I did was about... Our, our democracy and the times when it doesn't work for us, and mm-hmm. there's so many things in the in the donation system, especially that that need to change. And you can really see why the the Liberal government and also the Labor government have set inadequate climate targets. Mm. Because last election there was almost 500 million dollars worth of donations, and about a third of that, no one knows 
where that money came from because it, it doesn't need to be disclosed in our laws. That is and, so you know, crazy, isn't no, it? Yeah, yeah, there's still no Australian anti-corruption watchdog that actually has any power. So, you know, when you think about a system that, that is that, has that, that level, we'll just, we'll just let it go. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't really matter. Then it, it's not that surprising that ScoMo can appoint Neville Neville Power, I think his name is, as the, as the head of the COVID recovery board thing and, and get a gas lab recovery like it. Yeah, it's pretty tragic, actually. And <laughs> it's, it's very, very upsetting. And I think a lot of Australians don't really know what they can do about this. I, I have noticed more and more people joining our political system as independents and trying to hold the government to account without joining either of the major parties. And I think that is a really important thing to start happening in Australia because we've been so strongly two-party with the Greens on the side for such a long time. And I think the thing with the independents, just as you as you go off that, a lot of them are typically liberal independents, but the Liberal Party has moved so far to the right and so far out of the original Liberal Party ideals yeah. that they just can't support them anymore. And that's where yeah. a, a lot of these independents are coming from. That's really telling, isn't it? Yeah. So, Cohen, I think you're about to say something else. Oh, yeah. Well, there's also Zednet, which... We've we've both been involved in Ali, yes, um, and that's in uh, that's in the you know the, the first kind of stages. But so that's that's a plan for for Man Alexander to become a Euronet emission shire, which is which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's that's a pretty that's a pretty awesome thing to be involved in. I was reading through Hepburn's plan, and yeah, yeah it's 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 pretty amazing. Well, they've got a they've got a wind farm, um, which is only two windmills, which powers all of Dalesford. So that gives you an idea of the yeah, you know the, the power of, of those things. Um, yeah. it's so, interesting that just like, two wind turbines can power a whole town. And yeah, and I didn't yet, imagine that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you see when you go out on the coast and you see just hundreds of them mm. um, over hills, it's like wow, that's that's some serious power. Yeah, but I really hope we can get something similar happening in, in you know Castlemaine and surrounds in, in Alexander. Yeah. yeah. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? You're sort of the youth representative in a way on the on the steering committee, and it is really very just the very beginnings of it all. But so there's going to be a lot more community engagement, a lot more people involved in the future, hopefully. Where do you see yourself going with your climate awareness and your your sense of what needs to happen in the world? What do you think is um, important? I guess. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've I've tried to spend my gap year figuring that out, and. <laughs> I, I've not come to it, and so hopefully I will one day. So I, I started on a big bike ride at the start of this year in a kind of attempt to have a very low-impact year mm. where my only real emissions were the emissions related to the food that I ate. And, you know, I didn't didn't really have a house. I had my only electrical things was my phone and my two mm. bike lights. So that was kind of what I was thinking, just try yourself to be, be really super efficient. But I don't think that's much of a long-term life goal. No, and COVID so, um, put a squash on that, didn't it? COVID stopped and it And COVID all. put a squash on that too, yeah. yeah. And I was reading, I've been reading about an idea called effective altruism, which is the idea that you donate a large portion of your earnings to the charities and mm. charities that do the most good per dollar you spend. And so far that's been used mainly to alleviate global poverty mm. and quite effectively. Like there's people who take up careers in finance to earn 
really large amounts of money and donate 70, 80% of that, mm. which is pretty amazing and a pretty amazing way to create change. And I, I, I reckon that can probably be adapted quite well to uh, environmental change as well. Mm. Like I, if there was just one person doing that for Extinction Rebellion or School Strike for Climate, there would be so many more resources behind those movements, yeah. um, which is definitely a problem, at least I know for Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. So maybe that's another path. I think that's good because it also, if you're feeling this really powerful need to stay involved with climate action and make sure the world changes, it means you can also pursue a career that is satisfying to you and not feel like you're betraying the cause, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think any career, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talking about how many different kinds of people can, can be working towards climate action. And I kind of always, I was never quite sure about that idea, but it's so true. Like any mm. any single occupation can do so much for, for climate action through, you know, so many different paths like effective altruism. You wouldn't imagine that a regular person working in finance would be contributing to climate action and climate justice. Mm. It's, it's so possible. And even if you're not living the ideal, you know, frugal lifestyle, like you you don't really have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's one path and yeah. there's a lot of merit in that too. But Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important to remember that if most people can't live a lifestyle where they can afford to not use energy or have the best or most organic food from locally grown resources. Yeah. Individuals, yes, we have responsibility and it's great to do what you can, but it's in the end, it's not our responsibility to make the massive changes that are needed. Mm. It's the government, it's the councils, it's the big corporations who are spewing millions of CO2 particles into the air every, yeah. like, second. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there, Neve. Yeah, and I do think that the more I interview people about climate action and climate change and the more I work at the sustainability group the more I realize that every single part of our lives is impacted and so every single career can be turned towards doing something better to support the climate movement and yeah, um, yeah and as you said not everyone can or will even get behind that but those who can can make a huge difference if they really apply themselves yeah so Neve, what are your thoughts for once school finishes I'm still finishes. Oh, that's that's not that long away. That's me. That's like three months. That's a bit scary. My thoughts are: I'm not going to stop my activism. I don't know how it'll evolve from school strike for climate um, because it, I'll probably move away as that movement is definitely student led and it should stay student led. Yeah. I'll move into a mentor role there, but continue my activism in other spaces. Although I'm not currently sure mm-hmm. how. Next year, I plan to go to uni, and I really want to study politics. Yeah, great. Fingers crossed it doesn't cost $43,000 if you have a be high Bachelor of Arts. Oh, my God. Um, so hopefully that doesn't go through. Yeah. But, yeah, so probably, yeah, study politics and work out how to change the world from there. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good plan. Is there anything you want to say on how the climate strike movement has changed your friends and what you've seen around you? I think it's it's pretty amazing because I think there's always there's always a whole bunch of politically engaged students, especially as you as you kind of move up through high school into later years. But this this movement was so all encompassing that it, it it didn't 
engage those students. Mm. And at a time when I feel like, you know, we all have the capacity to get on Facebook and repost uh, an article from The Guardian about how we're not doing what we should be doing and, you know, we're all screwed. But I think after doing that for six months, you feel pretty powerless because what kind of change does that really make? So I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting moment for it to happen when I, I think there's a possibility for a whole lot of young people to come out of school feeling really powerless and then to happen. I think was really was really a driver for, for people to realize that yeah you can make change and it's not limited to climate. It's, you know if you put your mind to it you can and that's so cheesy but that's where I ended up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I completely agree with Cohen. It is just about that. Yeah, everyone just kind of came to a realize like it's well it was about one about spreading awareness of the issue, but mm. two that people realized that they had power. That was more than just a vote because mm. they would most people don't engage with the political system at all and so they were just like i can do something and i don't necessarily have to engage in the politics side of it but i mm. can still engage in issues i care about yeah the dirtiness of the politics and i guess the next question is how have you seen the adults in your world respond to what you guys have been doing i can speak in terms of my grandparents mm which I think is a, a really interesting thing. My grandparents seeing me get involved made them take climate change seriously, like mm. as an actual issue and not just as a like future issue that doesn't matter or something that is just made up by left-wing people. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say the same these, but uh, I definitely can't. So. <laughs> Cohen, maybe you could reflect on how maybe not your direct family, but other people in the community have come forward with willingness to support. Yeah, well, I, I like. I mean, School Strike for Climate was, you know, so supported by so many adults in the community, and there were so many older people who came to the strikes as well. I think that that was pretty amazing to take no credit and want nothing in return, but just. <laughs> being so supportive and that was great and it's also you know it brings up a lot of funny things about a lot of these kind of movements like in, a, in the Australian Youth Climate Coalition you get kicked out when you're 30 <laughs> which is pretty funny you're out of there yeah. um, your climate change journey can, can move on yes. but yeah I think that was yeah so that's kind of funny sometimes but I think that that was pretty that was pretty amazing to see so many people get behind it for school yeah seeing all the adults there was the students led the movement and like because there's a lot of backlash in media about like the adults that were puppets and the adults are leading the movement and like it was the students whole and whole but the adults that supported like every one of the students are like absolutely incredible yeah. and it couldn't have happened without the support of so many experienced activists yeah. Like and we're just starting on our journey. What do you see happening globally with young people? We've been talking about the Australian scene, but what have you been seeing globally? Have you made connections internationally with people? I mean, not me personally, but I think the School Shape Movement has, like, as it has mobilised students in Australia, it has mobilised students from across the world in, in all countries. And I think it's been an empowering movement in general. Anything else you guys want to say? Any messages you want to give people who are listening? Come along for September 25th. <laughs> Place a flower. Yeah. Get that out there. Awesome.
that was Neve O'Connor-Smith and Cohen Saunders talking about the student strike movement and the upcoming action planned here in Castlemaine this Friday the 25th of September 2020. They are coordinating with actions right across Australia and I have links in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com for the student strike movement. I have also put links to help you find and contact your local, state and federal politicians so that you can call or write an email expressing your views on a gas-led recovery. As you just heard, the student strike movement is organising en masse call and emailing campaigns and it is vital that we all do the same. I personally have not done much of this kind of action, but a couple of days ago I called the leader of the Labor Party's office and left a message with Anthony Albanese's secretary that I am strongly against a gas-led recovery. I will do the same with my local state and federal representatives, as well as the federal ministers for anything even slightly linked, because climate change is an environmental issue, an urban and trade, tourism and investment issue, a major health issue, and something that the Minister for Agriculture, Drought and Emergency Management really needs to take some leadership in. Fracking is an energy issue and an Indigenous affairs issue, and the list goes on. You can let almost every single minister in the cabinet know how climate change and a gas-led recovery will affect their portfolio and that you disagree with it. So again, check the links in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com or just Google Australian ministers. You'll get a list with all of their contact details. And there, there are also links to all the opposition and independents who are currently active in our parliament. A phone call is quick and they will simply register you as a number in the for or the against and an email lets you expand on why it's important to them in their portfolio to think about this issue. I'm not going to guarantee that the minister themselves will read them, but you will get noted as for or against the issue. So now before we finish up, I just thought I'd do a tiny little bit of a throwback to an episode from May when I spoke to Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. We covered many topics in that interview, but this little snippet I thought was worth sharing again as he talks to exactly this point. I think the main thing, if you want to create change, is to think about two things. One is, where do I have a point of leverage? Where do I have a little bit of power? You know, is it a network I have? Is it people I know? Is it skills I can share? And then what is the level of governance where I personally can have that impact. It might be by going and talking to your local councillors. It might be engaging in, you know, a federal, a global conversation around the UN and climate change. So once you start to think about about those things, what's my skill and where can I have the most impact, then that kind of gives you a pathway to, you know, to, to do what you can to be effective. And I'm a huge fan of working at the state government level because state government is big enough in Australia that if you get a good decision, it actually changes the trajectory of society. So here in Victoria, for instance, we've got a ban on the process of fracking, so we can't destroy our our groundwater by you know fracturing for um for for gas. We have a renewable energy target that's driving you know the uptake of huge amounts of renewable energy and creating thousands of jobs. You know, and we've got a federal government that's useless, but, you know, we've got a state government that's moving forward slowly, and yet there's so much more they can do. So I put my effort primarily into the low, into the state government level, but it's up to everyone that wants to be involved to think, well, you know, where's my best place? And for some people, it's community level. 
some it's local government, some it's state government, you know, and then all the way up. So we know who our local federal member and our local state member are. Yep. Can you write to the Prime Minister directly? Can you write to his office or to him and just say, I think this is a terrible idea, please reconsider? And what's their process? Do they have to log and record all communications from members of the public? Yes, it does have uh, impact. Um, and often it's easy to feel a bit disempowered. But the fact of the matter is that numbers matter. And they do generally log the volume of correspondence they will get, and then that will be provided in a briefing to the minister or to the prime minister or or the cabinet member. So adding your voice does really impact. But then, of course, your postcode also matters. So a local federal member here in central Victoria is going to listen to a, you know, a 3450 postcode more than a 3000 postcode. So it's also around thinking, well, you know, where do I have impact? So you could write to the federal energy minister and he, you know, is in New South Wales. He probably doesn't care what we might think in Castlemaine. However, they do still have to govern for all of us. So it's about not either or, it's about doing both. Contact the prime minister, contact the responsible minister. So if it's around energy, it'd be contact Angus Taylor. Also contact our local federal MP because they are much more likely to take what you're saying seriously. That was Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth and that is it for today's show. Again, I've got links for you in the episode description about the student strike movement and how to contact your political representatives. It's a lot easier than you might think to let them know what you think. My name is Alison Hanley and you've been listening to Saltgrass, Turning the Goldfields Green. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. And this show was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group and Main FM. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we would love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com.